I'll just leave it there. Matt O'Brien's here. He's the director of vetting and research and a national security expert for the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Nice to see you, Matt. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So let's talk a little bit about Donald Trump's travel ban, which par- parts of which are going to be implemented today. Uh, how is that going to work, and is it really going to be as effective as we want it to be? Sure. So the whole travel ban is a complicated issue because it, it raises some complicated constitutional questions about what the president can and can't do. But practically speaking, the 90-day pause will go into effect so that the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of State can look at vetting procedures. And what they're going to do in that process is look at the information that we get on people who are coming from the six named countries and determine whether that information is adequate to allow us to evaluate whether those people are national security risks. Yeah, it's very difficult to determine, too, because in a lot of these countries, you know, they don't have the sophistication, they don't have the technology. We really have no idea who's coming in. It's very hard to get information from most of these places, and in the few places on the list where they do collect information, their governments don't want to share it with us. Mm, interesting. So the travel, you know, of course, the argument is made about the travel ban that there are a lot of folks who, basically, our biggest threat is homegrown terrorism, right? You know, the San Bernardino, those kind of people, where they're just kind of living among us, and then one day they go crazy and do something nuts. And so the travel ban certainly is not going to stop that problem. Well, the travel ban won't stop that problem directly because it only deals with six countries. But by taking a look at the way we vet people who are coming from a part of the world where there is definitely a terrorism problem, is going to improve the overall vetting procedures. Right. And so it may indirectly pre- prevent a lot of these incidents from happening. Yeah, that's true. with Matt O'Brien from the Federation of American Immigration Reform. Um, as a national security expert, you know, how do we discover these people, these sleepers, as they become radicalized? What's the best way to stop these people? Because, you know, you can't look at everybody's computer, especially if they're American citizens or they're here legally, which in many cases they are. What's the best way to be looking out for these guys? Sure. Well, the best way to deal with these problems is to take a national security approach to immigration. What we do now is we engage in screening. If we don't get information that says people are terrorists, we figure, okay, they're okay, we let them in. What we should be doing is saying, what do we know about this person, and is it enough to prove to us that they are not a terrorist? Right. Sometimes just where somebody is from, whether it be a particular country like Somalia, where it's extremely difficult to to vet people, or whether, you know, somebody's from a particular neighborhood in Yemen that presents a problem, that should be enough to say, hey, we're not going to let this person in. And it's a balancing game. You have to balance national security against the U.S.'s obligations to be a beacon of human rights in the world. Right now, we're, we're going in favor of the human rights, but we're doing that at the expense of the U.S. citizen, and we're undermining national security in the process. That is true. And one of the things that, that's difficult is that there are folks, almost every time we hear, especially in the U.K., well, they were on the police's radar. You know, how, how does that happen? How do you, are, how are they on your radar and all of a sudden they pull out a gun or a knife or whatever, start killing people? One thing I think that might help is checking the folks who go back to Syria, go back to other places where they become radicalized and then come back to America. If you're making repeated trips to a place you couldn't wait to get away from, we need to look into you. You're not going back to visit grandma probably. That's a huge problem with the way we handle refugee status and political asylum. And I agree with you. If somebody is going back and forth to the place that was so terrible they couldn't stay there, that's a significant sign that there's something going on. 
in the few circumstances where people can justify that because they had to go back to get a child or an elderly relative or whatever, that's understandable. But in 95% of those cases, we have no idea why these people are going back. Right, and they can risk, if I left a country, I wanted to get asylum here in America, the last thing I do is risk being held in that country again and them not letting me leave. Correct. And this is a huge problem overall in the way that we approach political asylum and refugee status because it was designed to be a temporary status to protect people who were genuinely in need of protection. Yet since we rolled out the programs, I think the refugee program went into effect in the 50s and the asylum program in the 80s, we've treated it as if it were a permanent status. When's the last time that anybody can recall someone being told, you're not a refugee anymore, it's time to go home? Right, that's very true. And in a lot of these places, listen, many people in the world, I was just reading a stat recently, millions and millions of people, most of the people in the world, 70-something percent, would like to come here if they had a choice to get out of their nation. We can't let everybody come here. It just doesn't work that way. Exactly. We have to ask at some point, what obligation do people have to stay at home and fix their own problems? If George Washington and Thomas Jefferson had said, well, this is a little rough, we're going to Paris, none of us would be here today. That is true, but I do feel bad for the people who are genuinely caught up in the mix, the innocent people. I had a guy drive me here from Dulles the other day who was from Iraq, couldn't wait to get out of there. His life was at risk. He had to hide. He went through all kinds of things to get over here to America. And there are people who just want to build a better life for their family. And he said, I'm so happy to be here. He said, I could never have done this. He worked 16 hours a day. And he was telling me all these stories about how hard he had to work driving cabs and driving various vehicles to try to make a life for his family. Then he had to go get his family when he came here. This is the kind of person we want. These are the immigrants we want in America. These are the people who built America. He said he would never take welfare. He said, I was here. I could have qualified. I never would have taken a dime. That's not why I came here. Those are definitely the people that we want to have here. The problem is that if we're not careful, we will wind up importing to the United States the very people and conditions that they were attempting to flee. And if we do that, we can't guarantee that those people are any safer here in the U.S. than they were at home. The other thing that we frequently do is we accidentally import the problem. I think of the cases that I worked with over the years that came from Liberia and Sierra Leone. Terrible, terrible civil wars, terrible conflicts involving multiple parties. We had people from every side of the conflict here in the United States, and then we resettled them all in the same neighborhood. Right, that is true. That's true. Well, we have this problem in Nevada. We have refugees from California come to Nevada, and then they want to replicate the bad policies that made them run out of California. And they don't get it. And really, I mean, we're laughing about it. It's the same principle. Because they're not understanding. We have people who come here from Islamic countries who will drown their daughters in the pool when they're dating the wrong guy. They're happy to have a pool, but now they use it for that. And so they're not assimilating in any way in some cases. Well, that's a direct result of the fact that assimilation has become a dirty word for political correctness reasons. Once upon a time in the United States, we expected people to learn the American way and to become a a part of the American community by melting into the melting pot. But now what we do is we tell people it's okay to retain your prior identity, and as a result of that, they don't learn how to be Americans. Right. I mean, I have no problem with people lauding a certain amount of their of their roots, whatever it may be, Irish, uh, you know, Mexican roots, uh, you know, Italian roots, whatever it might be. I, I think it's great that you appreciate where you came from, but ultimately we have to all be able to assimilate into America, certainly American values, or, you know, it's not, we're not going to have them very long. That's the problem. If you dilute them too much, you no longer have them. What's the interesting thing about America? It's probably unique among all the countries in the world in that we've taken the best aspects of all the cultures that have come together here. And we're starting to lose that now. Right, and we want to keep the best. We don't want to keep the worst. That's true. Matt O'Brien, Federation for American Immigration Reform, thank you for being here.
Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it. I'm Heidi Harris coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Coming up, Michelle Malkin.